Welcome to the Dream Centre Manchester, where we trust the ministry of Pastor Tony Higginson and the team will challenge and inspire you to become the move and be the demonstration. We warmly invite you each Sunday morning to join us for our family service, but for more information or to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at thedreamcentre.co.uk. If you're just tuning in today, and I say just tuning in because people come in over the weeks and blah, 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 uh, and you're wondering what you're listening to, you're listening to a series on need versus lack. And you think, well, if you want to, everything I say this morning is already is in a context. And if you want to know what a context is, go to the podcast and you can download the messages there and pick up so you, this morning's message will make sense. But you know, we read in Scripture. Some of us read Scripture. But when we read in Scripture, we see that there are many, many core emphases being made. From Genesis to Revelation, there are many, many things being spoken. Sometimes you go into, into a chapter and it's specifically highlighting something. But throughout the Scripture, from front to back, there are core major emphases being made. Yeah? And despite the variances, there's always a central, consistent emphasis being made. I'll just tell you what some of those are. Number one is God is the eternal Father. God is the eternal Father and Him being our Father who art in heaven. All the way through Scripture, God is emphasizing He is our Father. All the way from Genesis right through to Revelation. God is our Father and He's the Father who is art in heaven. There's great continual emphasis on Jesus being the model and the pattern begotten Son. That's why Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. I think it's Colossians, what it says is the exact representation, the image of His Father. So it's like, you know, the, you look at that picture, you look at that picture, you think, you look the same. Yes, because we are the same. It's a doppelganger, as we call it. And uh, Jesus has been the model pattern son. And the Bible's always emphasizing that the father and son are one, but the son will come to redeem and atone for the sins of mankind. The Old Testament's pointing forward. The New Testament is, re- is revealing what was spoken in the Old Testament. There's an emphasis on the kingdom. There has always been an emphasis on the kingdom. And this kingdom has a government and it has power and it has rule. It's a government that has righteousness, peace and justice at the forefront. It's a government that carries no end. And it will never be overthrown. No coup. Coup d'etat. There's none of that going on. That That happened a long time ago but it never flustered God. It's ringleader. God rounded up all the ringleaders and said, you'll be put in the lake with the rest. Your purpose is set. So it's a government. And this government needs to be executed in every strata of our society. And this is what being a New Testament believer speaks to us. Go and take the, gum, go and take the kingdom. Go and take the government of God and release it into every strata of society. So that kingdom is everywhere. Now, if you take humanism, humanism is like a fine piece of um, a powder that's been grounded down. And it's like it's, someone's done that, blown it, and the wind has taken it to every nation. There's nowhere in the world where humanism has not settled. There's nobody who's not been contaminated by it. It's in the air. You can feel it. And more or less, depending which culture you walk into, it's there. And our kingdom is meant to go and cleanse it. To go and cleanse. So something greater has to come upon us in order for something that's resisting us to be shifted out. So the emphasis is on that. There's an emphasis on an eternal church. Yes, an eternal church. One day, we won't be here. But the eternal church will always be here. Where believers are seated far above... Where this government will continue, will take the party somewhere else. Where we'll sit and rule the nations together. 
and will judge the nations together. The emphasis is on this. There's massive emphasis all the way through Scripture on the saints being victorious and how we will rule and reign with Christ and rule the nations and govern the nations and judge the nations. That's our position. There's great emphasis on the nations, people. I mean, Scripture talks about nations so many times. It talks about people groups, cultures, and them needing to, ex- to acknowledge and receive our Christ, his message, our gospel, our faith, and one hope. Our scriptures teach us that that is the emphasis of the church, so that the nations receive one Christ. He is the way, not a way. He is the way. He is the Christ. You, who do people say I am? You are the Christ. You are the Son, you are the living, and you are the God. Peter's revelation, that's the same revelation you've got. It's the same revelation you've got, what Peter got. He just got there before you. So we want the nations to receive our Christ. Our Lord, our King, our King, His kingdom, our faith, our message, our hope. Amen? Our victory. This is the emphasis. And then there's a primary issue. So um, the emphasis is on people groups. This is why God t- constantly shows us the sea. And the sea in scriptures often speak of people, nations, people groups. Everyone will bow down. Wow, an amazing thing. Everyone's going to bow down. Past, present and future. An amazing thing. So... These are consistent emphasis that God has kept on speaking and will keep on speaking. You think, what's this got to do with need and lack? I'm glad you asked. But one of the core emphasis, in fact, it's such a massive emphasis, and God will never stop emphasizing it, is human behavior. Human behavior is the crux of the issue. It was human behavior that, in that garden, that set a whole plan. Well, the plan was always there. But that behavior revealed a whole bunch of other behaviors. When they sinned in the garden, it opened up a can of worms, so to speak. And human behavior has always been the major issue. And it's the one thing the Holy Ghost wants to stress to you and I, behavior. Your behavior, my behavior, how we think, how we inwardly, secretly, deeply think and store things because thoughts become an action. Thoughts are like trains. You get on them and they take you all kinds of places. And sometimes you can't stop a runaway train. So we've got to be very careful what thoughts we allow into our hearts because they'll create a nature and they'll create a behavior. So the scripture is always talking about behavior. Now, behind behavior is philosophies, ideologies, new trend thinking. Yeah? You go on Facebook, you go on, on social media, and there's always the new, latest trend thinking that always has a behavior attached. So when people get in and get in and get on, that's a train. It takes people, it takes communities, it takes society down a particular track called destruction, excuse me, destruction or decline or disaster or consequences, whatever word you want to use. So behavior is always going to be a central issue in your life. Bringing you to the end of yourself is your life's and the Holy Ghost's life's work. He gave you life so that you would die. He died so that you could live. Now you live and are expected to die. Hello? Jesus Christ lived. He died so that you could live. Now you being a Christian, you're meant to die so that you can live. The death of self. Ah, that's the part we don't like. The resistance, 
The resistance is not someone out there, it's someone in here. It's called you and me. So, but you know what I love about God understanding that behavior is the major issue. He writes T's and C's into the covenant. Terms and conditions. Now, when you have you ever seen it on the TV when, when an advert's you know it's a dodgy advert. You just know it's a dodgy advert when you see that very thin white text that you can't see. And it's got all the terms and conditions at the bottom. And you're thinking, I can't even see that. But they get away with that by saying, but at least we advertised it. Because once upon a time, they never used to put it on the screen and they were in trouble. Now, they put it on the screen, but you'd have to stop it. Then you'd have to magnify it and then you wouldn't understand it. True? True? But everything's got terms and conditions today because you've got rights. But you don't know your rights. And you don't know when you're in the right. And when you're in the right, they'll tell you you're in the wrong. But you don't know. And they play on your ignorance. They in fact, they bank on your ignorance. So, God puts T's and C's into his word. But unlike you and me, he's got like... I don't know if you've got one of those big print Bibles. I haven't. I'm not, that, I'm not blind, but... Mine's a reasonable size. But some people have a really small print Bible. Right, that's like having small terms and conditions. But on that, I mean, all the terms and conditions are plain in my Bible. They're, they're black ink on a white background. They're very clear, the terms and conditions. And he's saying, if you want to follow me, you better get to know the terms and conditions. Because if you don't get to know the terms and conditions... You're always going to think I'm unjust. You're going to be asking for things that you're not allowed to ask and then wonder why I'm not giving them you. You're going to go so far and think I'm, going to, I'm mean and I'm, and I'm resisting you and I'm not paying attention and I'm not a good father. You're going to interpret me wrong. Why? Because you don't know the terms and conditions. You think, and I think at times, God is just going to, just, he's going to love me forever and ever and he will. But that doesn't mean to say he lets you get away with everything or gives you everything just because he loves you. What parent does that? A stupid one. No parent does that. So terms and conditions are a massive part of our Bible. Now the problem is, when the preacher comes and just lifts a verse out and throws it to you, and he throws you a terms and condition benefit, very often we just want... That we want the conditions, but not the terms. Yes? Our terms. The issue is, when God says, I come with a term and a condition, there's no changing God's mind. He's already told us. In fact, part of the terms and conditions is, I, God, don't change my mind. I wrote something down this week. <laughs> I wrote a lot down this week, but... I wrote 25 reasons why you should write things down. And it's quite revealing when you go through scripture why they wrote. God says, I want you, like the iPad, widen it out so that I, I want you, Tony, to see the terms and conditions of our relationship, our covenant. Because if you don't understand the terms and conditions, you're always going to have lack and you're always going to have needs. And you're going to think, I'm unfair. And then you're going to look for shortcuts. And you're going to go for quick quid. Do you know what quick quid is? You know these loan sharks that says you can have it in a day? You can have what you want? That's called a lot of faith preachers. You can have it today. It's quick. But there's conditions. And there's terms. There's nothing quick. In scripture, everything's principle-based. Everything, every promise has a principle. Every promise and a principle has a protocol. Come to ADT, we'll teach you this. So, God is so, so keen on emphasizing behavior. So much so that he, he's got a fancy name for it. Do you know what it's called? The law of first. The law of first. Now, if I said to you first, what does that imply to you? It's in primary important. 
If it's first, it means it's before everything else. That's the order of priority. It could be critical, it could be urgent, it could be important. But it's first. So, let's look at the first, Matthew 6, 31. Matthew 6, 31. This has been our scripture since Christmas. Why? Because he's emphasizing behavior. So don't worry, saying, verse 31 of Matthew chapter 6. So don't worry. There's a good start there. Why is he saying don't worry? Because he knows the opposite. We do. Exactly. So don't worry. Hmm. What we shall eat. Now, every culture has its own food. And it has its own appetite, does it not? Don't worry what we're going to drink. Don't worry what we shall wear. Now, there's a fashion, right? There's a trend right there. That creates a behavior right there. How many of you know food and drink create a behavior? So does what we wear will create a behavior. These are thoughts that take people into different directions. What we shall wear. And then he comes into this further pagans. Run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them also. So God is not saying that you're not, you don't need food, you don't need clothes, you don't need something to drink. He acknowledges that he created us. He's saying the behavior that one group of people create in order to go and get those things is not what I want for you. I don't want you to be like them. Because if you're like them, then you're not like me. And there has to be a distinction on the earth between them and you. Because if there is no distinction, then what's the point of me being here? Because if the same concerns, the same worries, the same traps, the same stress, the same anxiety is in my people then my word is never allowed to manifest because my people will behave the same way as the rat race. So the pagans are those who don't believe. Or so you think. Or so you think. I'll show you in a minute. There's more pagans in today's church than there is outside. Who do you think the lost sheep of Israel are? The ones inside. There's more lost people inside churches today than ever before. So it's a very easy place to hide, church. But the kingdom, you cannot hide. So, he says, your father knows that you need them. But seek first. Here we are. Seek first. The law of first is now um, instigated and it's there in black and white. And it's there in the terms and conditions. In fact, this is page one, paragraph one, first line, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, because the two are inseparable. It's not seek the kingdom and not righteousness. It's not have righteousness and not the kingdom. It's the two are one. The kingdom has righteousness. In other words, it has a behavior. The kingdom has a behavior. And anyone who's part of the kingdom must reflect that behavior. So it has to become first and primary in your life and my life. Can you see this? Then he says, if you make this the first priority, I have no problem delivering UPS, all the stuff that you need for life and destiny. Because what you need is not the same things the pagans need. Food, water and clothes. Is that it? Is that all you need? Duh. You need much more than that. But if you have a wrong perspective, you will push and pursue like every other rat in the race. I'm wondering why... Listen, if you're stressed and you've got all the wealth in the world, you're not blessed. Hello? Because the Bible says... 
The blessings of God add no sorrow. So if you're blessed and so if you're stressed with all your blessing, then it's not from God. You've got to know the principles. Well, look, I've got all this. I'm of God. The issue is blessed and stressed don't go together. Because the person who's got wealth will always fight to keep it and always thinks there's somebody trying to take it from him. So he doesn't sleep at night. And we're going to see what the law of first will produce. So, now it seems... Let's just look at the pagan. Who is the pagan? I'm glad you asked. It seems that in the 21st century of which we live, our society is more and more becoming secular, as I already described. And with a secular society, you have all kinds of weird animals manifesting in our streets. And we have new creatures being created every day. New behaviours, new thought patterns. Things are getting, things are on the decline constantly, constantly. People are becoming degenerate. Society is. However, that's one picture. But also, the, the light of Christ is shining. So we're not all, hold the fort, Lord, get us out of here, two to beam up. No, no, no. For everyone who tells you the bad picture, you speak up and tell them a good picture. But we're not ignoring the bad picture because that's the state of play. That's the game, that's the game we're in. But we have different terms and conditions. We are not playing the same game. American football and English football, it looks like it's the same game to the uneducated. But to anybody who knows the game, you can see one has different players, amount of players on it. It's a different size field. Different size ball. Hmm. One are not allowed to pick the ball up. Well, the other game can. And it's a completely different... But they play in grass, don't they? Right, that's the only parallel there is. The terms and conditions, the rules of the game are different. If a man picks the ball up in England, he can only do it at a certain time to throw the ball back. To keep the game going. In America, the guy runs down the field with it. So, but inside of this 21st century church, there is a growing increase of pagans beginning to uh, mass. So they're beginning to accumulate. Congregate, that's the word I was looking for, congregate. Sometimes you've got to say three or four to get the one you want. Congregate. And they sit there and they look so polished. They've learned how to play the game. So the pagan comfort, so he says, remember Jesus says, like the pagans. So the pagans have a distinct behavior. But the kingdom also has a distinct behavior. Now, most people, most Christians, if you said to them, go and stand in that mirror there, do you see a pagan? They say, no, I don't see a pagan. But if I followed you for 24 hours, I might see the breadcrumbs and the evidence of a pagan. If I followed you for 24 hours, that's called stalking where I live. But <laughs> The pagan, the first level of a pagan is this. He is, a, is absent and he's distant. So in other words, he doesn't see that he's converted to Christianity because he thinks that's more, sounds more true than this. But he's not convicted his lifestyle. It's not changed his lifestyle, but he says, I'm a Christian. Christian means I'm not one of them. Now, all around the world, people will say they're Christians. What they're saying is they're not Muslim. They're not Jewish. So they'll bump, they'll group, this people group together and say they're Christians. No, that's not Christians the way we understand it. But because they're not Muslim, they're not Jewish, or they're not or some other faith, these lot get these pagans, let's call them what they are, pagans. So some people say, well, I'm Christian. They'll ask you, what, what, uh, what faith are you? You'll say, I'm Christian. When you went to school, that's what they asked you, didn't they? Are you Catholic? No, I'm Christian. It's the same thing, isn't it? That's another fight for another day. 
But these guys, the first pagans, distant by his absence, but he claims to be a Christian. Because he's not a Muslim, he's not a Jew, he's not a uh, whatever, a Sikh, Hindu. So they claim to believe without believing. Does that make sense? That's the first level. Now, they're easy to see because you think a lot of people's got it. I mean, the older generation you go back, that seems to be more and more prevalent. As we're moving into this 21st century, there's less and less of that generation uh, still left in the church, but they're, they're still there. Believe me, they're still there. They come out on Christmas and Easter and baptisms. They come out, they call them free wheel Christians. Hatch, match, and dispatch. <laughs> then we have, we have the pagan believer who, who comes to church, but all he does is worry. All he does is stress. He's always in crisis. He's always in trouble. Always, there's always an issue. There's always something. They're never at peace. They're never on the top of the mountain. It's always somebody else's fault. I'm the victim. They never seem to get Christ and his kingdom working. Maybe I've just described you. I don't know. I'm not a pagan. No, but the behavior describes you. And these people are caught up most of their life. They're caught up securing their needs their perception of what they think their needs is. But that's the very thing Jesus said, don't do. It's the very thing, you're doing the very thing that Jesus says, don't be like them. He's trying to help us see that there's a behavior that brings all kinds of stress. And it's not good for my people. So, have you, who knows what the Kobe cow is? The Kobe cow is the Japanese cow. And they reckon it's the most expensive beef you can ever buy. And what they do, the way they kill it, they, most, they basically love it to death. So the, the cow's got Sky TV. It's got, it's got McDonald's before it's actually visited McDonald's, become McDonald's. It's got everything. And, what, and basically the science behind it is that, that if you can take all the stress out of an animal before you kill it, its meat tastes a lot fresher because the moment you, you can, you know, if I got you, if I got you by the, the neck, and you all the toxins that would release in your body, you'd be no good for human consumption. So the whole idea is, the whole idea is to kill the cow, they love it to death, killing you softly with his words, that's what it is. Right? They stroke the thing to death and kill it until it dies and he went peaceful and he went... And it is, it's tender, it's tender beef, and you think, but it's so expensive, why? I'm not surprised, the Sky TV subscription probably cost them a load of money. <laughs> so, they kill it. Now the point is, is most of us die stressful, and we die because of stress. Stress is taking more Christians out. Stress is taking so many millions of hours off, off the workplace. So many days are lost. So much money, it's costing the economy. Billions. And then you say, and then, and then to, to, you know, to top it all off, you go to doctors, well, there's a million ways, there's a million, million reasons for, for stress. It's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. And you've got to ask yourself, what has created the stress? Well, the way you think and perceive is what then creates the action, which then creates the madness and the sickness and the stress. Do you remember when we looked in the book of James about the quarrels? The first thing it creates is quarrels. And we saw from reading the old scripture all the things that James tells us about. So Jesus is trying to say, look guys, I need a behavior. I need you like Kobe cows. I need you to die to self. And I don't need you getting stressed out about it. Don't let the world kill you. Let God... Bring you to the end of your ways. And, and the Colby Cow Syndrome is not... And we, no, what we've got now is we've got a load of Colby Cows sat in church today and all we do is pamper them. But no one's actually dying. But we think we just we stroke the cow. We give it a happy meal. 
We give it a Kentucky Fried Buffet and we think, come back next week, we'll love you some more. And what we've done is we've got all these Colby cows sat in church, no stress, but they are stressed. Why? Because they live like pagans. If you work for Pharaoh, Pharaoh will create you stress. But if you work for God, God does not create stress. Who's paying your wages? You see, I could never look to you guys to pay my wages. I have to look to God. I can't be sat there each week saying, if they don't come, they don't tithe, they don't give, I get, I don't... And Whoa, I'm in the wrong business if that's the case. I'm in the wrong business. Since the day I walked in this room, since the day I walked in here, I took a £17,000 drop to come here. That was 20-odd years ago. That was then. So I didn't come for your money. I didn't sing for my supper. And I still won't do it. Because that's the path to madness. And what he's saying here is, the pagans are in the church more than we think. The kingdom is not becoming the first rule. Taking care of my needs is becoming the major issue in church. Now, did Jesus say you have needs? Right. The way you go about them is the issue, not the needs. You need to eat, I need to eat. We need to have clothes. We need to, we need to keep ourselves warm, certainly, and dry, certainly if you live in the north. You need clothes to wear. You need food to eat. You need uh, something to drink. You need a house over, a roof over your head. Of course, they're the basic needs. But so much stress is caught up in those basic things. And then we have the third person who's not a pagan. Who puts the kingdom first? Now, I know most believers think they are kingdom believers because they can say the word. Kingdom believer means you put your net down. You put your nets down and you left them down. And you said goodbye and now you're following. You still have needs. Still thirsty, still hungry, still need clothes, still need, still have needs. Needs will always be there. The issue is you pursue them differently. That's the different. How many of you know a disciple was not born? A disciple is not born. When I was born, I was born an ugly looking baby. Because all babies, in my opinion, are like, right? They look like Winston Churchill, don't they? Now I know if you're the parent, oh, look at that bundle of joy. Hey, that's why we got rid of Scott, yeah. <laughs> so the point is this, I just think all babies are babies. They look at that, but when they start toddling, oh, then, then, character comes out. That's just my perception. I'm not saying they're all ugly. If your baby was born and you love it, it's wonderful. Still. But no one's born a disciple. Disciples are made. And the re- reason why we have pagans and pagan, beha- or pagan behavior is because people are not made into disciples. Now, what, what do we call somebody who's born again? Someone who's born again. You're born again, but at that point, nothing. You've done nothing. All you did was accepted the gift of faith that was given to you. You accepted and said, that's it. This is what I've been looking for. This is what I need. And you embraced salvation at that moment. But at that point, you know nothing about what lies inside Jesus and beyond him. There's nothing you've discovered. So you go to church and you pick a little bit here and your little bit there and you're trying, it's like Lego and you can't seem to get your life into any shape and you wonder why you can't seem to find purpose in life because the wrong pieces are in the wrong place. Because you've never come aside to put aside. And the pagan behavior is still running in the background. Well, am I born again? It's all finished, really. 
I only have to follow you for 24 hours to realize that's not true. So we see that the pagan behavior, the pagan comes in, he gets born again, but he's still not made. He's not, still not been developed. He's still not put down his net, still not put aside. He still hasn't taken on the nature of Christ. And we sit in church and we think if we just keep coming to church, they'll become a disciple. Well, the proof of the pudding is that's not true. We've got the evidence all around us that that is not true. Being a disciple is, can I say it in one word? Permanence. Permanence. It's not a course. It's permanence. I'm born again. I'm becoming a disciple. And it's in becoming the disciple that I'm, watch, I'm saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved. Because there's parts of me that still need redeeming. So I'm being saved. Right? But if I don't keep working and walking, I'm never being saved. Because it's an ongoing thing. Becoming a disciple. Becoming. I wasn't born one. I became a man. But first of all, I was a child. I was an ugly baby. Then I became a cute toddler. Then I became an awesome looking teenager. Then I became a distinguished gentleman. And now I've become a graceful old man. Not there yet. Not there yet. These are... These are stages of growth, right? But what's the point of being an old man and still I haven't changed? I've wasted all my life. So I'm becoming and my behavior is changing. I'm shedding the skin. I'm changing. I'm becoming more like Christ. Becoming a disciple. No, I didn't become. I am becoming it's ongoing. Pagans don't become disciples. Pagans are just converts. You've got to move, watch, convert, believer, to believer in practice. Many of us believe many things. It doesn't always require an action, but this kingdom does. Because with your belief, you have to combine it with faith. And faith has to be actioned. So most Christians are just, are just pagans. The pagans. Oh, that doesn't go down well. Here's why we don't see the Laura first in the 21st century church. We repent enough. I said this in ADT. We repent enough just to be saved. But we don't repent enough to continuously keep changing and be transformed. So we repent just enough to get saved and forgiven. But we've not repented enough to change. And there's our problem. So when you repent just to get saved, you convert. But you've not changed. And here's the problem with most Christians in the West. We just get in. Because if he comes back in like a thief in the night, at least I know I've got my badge on. And I'm going, if we all get to heaven. Do you remember that old song? Well, maybe, maybe you don't, but... It, I'm not old. I was just taught these old songs. It's amazing what you can get from MP3 these days. The issue is, is... I was raised on fear. Just get in the kingdom. Jesus is coming back tonight. He could come back at any moment. That's true, is it not? Yeah. Right. And if he comes back tonight and he finds you in the pub, dun, 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 I'll order him a pint of crystal. If you're in the cinema, eh. if you're having fun, and this created a whole sense of behavior. That is coming back tonight. And there was a movie when I was growing up called Thief in the Night. I wish we'd all been ready. And it scared the out of me. It scared it out of me. 
The Cliff Richard did the theme, Wish We'd All Been Ready. And he's talking about two are walking and one's left in the field, the other one's going, and you wake up in the morning and the missus is gone, and you're thinking, why did she go? Why did you take me? And the fear came in. We can't live like that. But if you're a convert, you will. You can't believe at the last minute, dot com. Because at the last minute, it'll be dot gone. We repent enough to be saved, but not enough to continuously be changed and not enough to continuously, continuously transition and be transformed into the likeness, the image, and into the nature of the one we're supposed to be following. For so many people, for so many Christians, convert Christians, all we ever see is them. We never see Christ in them. All we see is their personality, their gifting, their skill, their mantra. But we never see Christ. Hmm, I think I know a scripture about that. It says, and by the fruits you shall know. If I can't see Christ and you can't see Christ in one another, stay away. There's something drastically wrong. You can tell me you're a, you, you believe. You can tell but you're a convert if there is no Christ in there. I should have the right and you have the right to expect to see Jesus in me. That's how you know I am one of him and I'm part of him. Instead of the disciples that they could see that these were unlearned men, but they could also see that they'd been with Jesus. Why? Because what was on Jesus was now on them. There was a wisdom and a strength and a nature starting to form on the inside of them that they knew that these ordinary unskilled men were now beginning to manifest new signs. And they were becoming a sign and a wonder to their peers. You've got to become a sign and a wonder before you perform them. Let me say that again. You've got to learn to become a sign and a wonder to your peers before you start performing signs and wonders. And this is where many of us go wrong. We sit in church and we just accumulate, but we don't change. The cross for many of us has never been picked up. And for those who did, it became too heavy too quickly. It became too costly. And as a result, we allowed ourselves to become entangled in our own nets. The very nets that you should have put down and walked away from. And now are the very nets that's entangling you. And that's what Jesus said. The pagans are entangled in nets. And the stresses of trying to get free from the net. But they never have what it takes to get out of the net and cut themselves free from the nets of life that capture us. Can you see this? Very, very important. This life has worries of itself. But who can change tomorrow by worrying? Da-da, no one. <coughs> this behavior has settled. And, and here's where the church has now come to because we have this behavior in the church. We've now found that most pagans have just become a fan and a casual worshipper of Jesus. We have more fans in the church today of Jesus than we have followers. So worship has a different connotation for the fan. You know, even I love to stand up when I go to Sea City. Even I like get a bit brave to sing with the fans. I'm only singing because I'm winning. And I'll stand up there, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can see Scott, Scott's with me. And he goes, like, Dad, shut up, shut up, Dad. You're embarrassing, Dad. Hey, yeah, yeah, I'm going for it. I'm, I'm, listen, I've not paid me money, but I'm getting in there for free, so I'm having everything. And I love it, I love it. In fact, when Pastor Pete was here, City United, I kissed him when City scored. Strength, mate, what are you doing? I said, I said, this is what we do. It's a custom, Pete. When we score, we kiss each other. Stove, mate, stove. 
He loved it. And I, wound, I was just winding him up. So if he goes back home and says, they all kiss each other when he's got, it's not true. It's not true. We're men. We're men. Manly men. But the church has more fans than it has followers. And the fans only sing when they're winning. They only sing when they're winning, when they feel good, when something around them is making them feel good. Now you'll always have the defiant fan who sits, goes to the away games and when his team's getting beat 6-0 like Chelsea's was last week, we'll support you evermore. That's defiance. But the average Chelsea fan's back on the bus. And he's complaining. What's the point of following this lot? They let me down. He's in the rat race because there's no guarantees in football. Just as there is no guarantees in life. And if you put all your hopes on football, it's still the same rat in the same race. People support football because they identify with the success. And when their team wins, they identify that we've won. No, you go and win without that team. Go and, feel what it, go and experience what it feels like to win outside of your team. Grow up, be a man. And so when the church has more fans than it has followers, we only worship based on emotions. On what we see performing around us. That is the behavior of the pagan. Raise his only hands. I don't want to. I'm not feeling I'm not so good this week. It's been, it's been a hard week. If you knew what kind of week I'd had this week, you too would have your hands in your pocket. Sorry? Sorry? Is that the behavior? Is that a pagan I can hear speaking? Because it's all I'm hearing right there is me, myself, and I. I thought we worship God for who he is, not for what he did, for what he's doing. No, no. We worship God. We praise God for who he is. We worship God for what he's doing in our life. But you can only worship someone you know. You can praise the work of others, but you really worship the one you know. Because your heart is there. So if I was given a sky newsflash this morning, I would say the church has more followers, sorry, more fans than it has followers. And would they need rooting out? And the only way you'll flush a pagan out is by turning the heat up, intensify the word, cleanse the atmosphere, and the pagans will either get transformed or they'll run out. It's the only way. Turn the heat up. Turn the intensity up. Don't change the message. You play with the message, you'll all become pagans. Why, can we, why should we sacrifice some good for the majority of those who don't want what we've got? You turn the heat up. It's the only way. So many people live with a reason to disconnect. I wonder what your reason is. I wonder if you, what's your internal reason for disconnecting today, last week, the week before? If you're always living in a constant state of disconnection, there's something wrong. That's a pagan. That's a pagan. So the law of the first is the first law to arrest behavior. It's the central law. Because God is who God is. Jesus has done what Jesus has done. Now you must do what you're called to do. Now it's over to you, terms and conditions. It's your part now. Pick up your cross. Put your nets down. Pick up your cross and follow me. Terms and conditions. And anyone who would want to come after me, he must first what? Deny him. So that's called death. That's called Death, denying himself. So to deny myself needs a different behavior. And if I keep running around and chasing the same way the pagans do, then I have not denied myself and I am not picking up my cross. If your cross is too heavy, then you need some grace. You don't need disconnection. You need grace. Hmm. Wow. 
So he emphasizes this, and with this we'll bring this thing down. The Lord of the first will place emphasis on distinct things. Let me just tell you what they are. The kingdom and its righteousness is number one. That's the primary focus and attention that we give to our faith. Versus the world and its earthly attachments that we often pursue. And these things are the very things that take our time and our energy. When we pursue the wrong things, time and energy, we never seem to have enough of. But where there is right pursuit and passion, it seems like time is different. I've always got time for passion. And yet I always feel like someone's taking my time when I'm caught in a trap. So the kingdom and his righteousness is first. The principle of seeing God and trusting him is your father. Versus you living like a pagan, stressing, thinking that it's your job to take care of every need there is. Now, let's get some balance here. Have you got to go to work? Yes. As the things you've got to do? Absolutely. But guess what? Even though you're doing all those things, stress is still following you around. You've got to do those things anyway. You've still got to go to work. However... My father is my provider. My father is my provider. He'll keep the company. He'll keep me in a job. He'll keep the company open if it was just to supply my needs. That's not a problem. I'm not going to let Pharaoh put fear in... Oh, we're making people redundant this week. We're gonna, and, and all that fear is going to create stress in you. So you work harder, work longer... And you'll sacrifice your family life because I better work because, you know, I'm going to lose my job. Whoa, whoa, stop, Kimo Savvy. Just stop right there. I've been there. You can't tell me what I'm saying is not right. I've seen God keep a factory open for me. Because I refused. I said, one day I got a revelation. I refused to live in fear and be contained by the rumors that are going to shut down. So when I worked the night shift, I used to walk through the factory and I'd be prophesying. It's a big factory I worked in. And I would, I would demand in, in, uh, in the spirit, orders are going to come through that door. Yeah. We will not close. We will prosper. We will not go down. Lord, you know where the suppliers are. You knew new customers. I could, and I started prophesying. I did it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And always work would come in. And when I left to come into the ministry, a year after, it closed down. Guess what? Job done. God... Can keep, if God can roll back the waters for a nation, why can't he hold back the enemy from devouring where you work? Seriously, we can live in fear. We're not blind to the fact that the economy is changing. We're not blind to the fact Brexit and all these things create all kinds of suspicions. We're not blind to these things. However, I know whom I live, believe. And I know I'm fully persuaded that he is able... To, to, to look after, to provide all that which I've committed to him. Why? Because I'm working on the law of first. It's the term and condition that I can hold him to it. He's holding me to it and I can hold him because it's a term and a condition. You said, Lord, if I put you first, you would do this. Pay up. Pay up, Lord. God says, I like a man who can hold me to my word. I like a man who can hold me to my word, who knows the word, who knows the terms and conditions, and say, Lord, I'm a tither, I'm a giver. I do this, Lord, I do that. I've held you, to, I've done your word, Lord. I, there's nothing else I know how to do unless you show me, Father. God says, I like this man, he's holding me to my word. God is not afraid of you challenging him on the word. But don't you be afraid of him challenging you. Just adjust. Lord, I didn't see that. Sorry. The issue of the true heart versus your old nature will always become one of the things that God has to emphasize and keep emphasizing. You know, your old nature has power. Your old nature, boy, is it powerful. It can say no. All children learn to say no before they say yes. No. No. No, no. 
Not no, yes, no. We have to teach a child how to say yes and how to bend and how to let go. But no seems to be a default setting of most kids and of most Christians. No, 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 no. You misunderstood me. It's a yes, no. No, it's actually a yes. And that's the battle between no and yes. And Paul says, time and time again, he says, I make sure our yes is yes and our no is no. When we say no, we mean no. When we say yes, we mean yes. The Iranians don't like that game. In all the time we work with Iranians, they have a word called tarof. And tarof means no when they're trying to say yes, and they say yes when, it, when they mean no. So what happens is you say, would you like a cup of tea? They say no. Meaning that if I say yes, I look cheap. <clears throat> and I don't want to be reduced in your sight if I say yes. Because it looks like I need you now. So this woman who, who came to the church, we went, went out for coffee one day, and the <coughs> she says, I said, do you want coffee? No. Goes to the toilet, come back, she drank me coffee. <laughs> whoa, 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 chemo savvy. That, that is imprisonment. That is imprisonment here. You can be hung for that. <coughs> so I said, I thought you didn't want a coffee. <laughs> I realised tarof, what tarof meant. So later on, I would expose them. They didn't know I knew what tarot meant. So when I'd be speaking to them, and I'd be talking to them, and then they'd give me an answer, I'd say, don't give me tarot. And straight away, their cover had been blown. And then this, later on, this woman, um, I said to this woman, what is it you like about the English culture? She says, what I like about English culture is this. When you say yes, you mean yes. When you say no, you mean no. Why? You've had the experience, don't you? When we say, do you want a cup of tea? And you say no. I ain't sweating if you say no. I'm not there crying, going, oh, say yes. She had to learn the hard way. And that's the same way with God. When God asks you a question, don't say no, no when you mean yes. God tells you what he thinks and what he means. Your old nature is very powerful. And yet we've all like to keep the image, the mask, in front of everybody. I mean yes when I'm really, it's a no. And I mean no when I'm really, vice versa. It's a game you're playing Take the mask off and be real. You know, because we can see behind the mask anyway. So, <clears throat> the power of the true heart versus old nature and habits. God always puts the heart first. Because he knows the key to the change in the nature is through the heart. Yes? But a nature will never change if the heart is not touched. So God always makes that a priority. The value and true sincerity of your words is another issue, is another priority that Jesus looks for, as we've just said, versus the lack of insincerity seen in your words and life. God hates it when you say one thing and mean something else. That's not good. Your words are very important, so choose wisely. He said, go back and, and ask the guy if you made a vow with someone to, to release you from it. Why? Because your word is important. Because you take God at his word. These are terms and conditions. The conscience of God. Here's another one. We've been looking at this in, in uh, discipleship. The conscience of God. The moment your conscience becomes seared, God can no longer speak to you in that area. The first priority you must take care of is your conscience. Make sure you have a clear conscience and a clean conscience before God and before man. The moment your conscience lies to you, you're in trouble. So when you're saying yes and no, you know privately you're lying. Your conscience is not clear. So God will always come and speak to your conscience. The, vo the voice of the Holy Spirit will always come to your conscience first. And if you can't align yourself and keep your conscience clean and clear, then the Holy Spirit has to take a step back and he can't speak to you and he has to leave you Two, you'll come to the point where eventually you'll either get some consequences and you'll cry out to God and say, forgive me. When you could have, you could have de you know, kept the train on the track. You didn't have to go to derailment. It could have saved you a lot of pain and stress if you'd have responded in your conscience. There's things that God started to speak to you about that he's not spoke to you about for a long time. Did God forget? No, just that you switched him off in your conscience. And the moment your conscience comes alive, that conversation comes back online. Why? Because God never forgot. 
but your conscience became dull in that area and you wouldn't respond to God in that area. So God stopped talking to you about it. Mm. The perceptions of your needs versus the reality of what you really need and lack. Huge. Huge. The pagans think they need these things more than anything else. And when they've got their needs met, they still have lack. Lastly, between need and lack, there's another word I've not started talking about yet. Between need and lack, there's a bridge. Do you know what it's called? Enough. Living by the law of enough. Because most people never, the pagans never know when they've reached and stepped into enough. Enough. Scripture says this, my grace is sufficient for you. Another way of describing sufficient is enough. Living in enough, with enough, your perception of what is enough. Paul says, I know what it's like to be without I know what it's like to be shipwrecked. I know what it's like. And he describes all these different various experiences about his lack and his needs. But I've learned to live in the power of enough. Despite all those things being absent, despite all those experiences, he learned the power of enough. And I'm going to talk to you about the power of enough. We've looked at lack, what lack is. We've looked at need what need is but what about living in the power of enough because it's a different world when you can live in the power of enough my grace is sufficient there is there is an element there is an, a, a place in God where enough is sufficient I may have lack I may have need but enough is the place what grounds me it's the anchoring point. Now, if I, if I go into some people's houses and they explain, they can have all these things and say, we still don't have enough. I'll show you next week these four things that speak that never have enough. Four things in Scripture. And you'll identify with these four things because they scream and demand to be fed every day. Four primary things. The world doesn't live with enough. A drug, a drug addict has never had enough. An alcoholic's never had enough. A gambler's never had enough. Christians have never had enough. So they strive for other things. So let's stand to our feet, if we will. I hope we're addressing the pagan... The pagan mentality. If there's a pagan, if there's overtones of paganism inside of you, if there's overtones of paganism inside of you, today's a good day to create, to put the law of first into practice. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. Today is a good day to start allowing the Holy Spirit. You sang before me, it was a setup in the Spirit. Holy Spirit, set your truth inside of me. Well, you've just had some truth. Now, the issue is, will you allow it to live on the inside of you? And the way truth will live on the inside of you is by you partnering with the truth. Taking responsibility. Yes, Lord, I realize there is paganism inside of me. You brought it to my attention today, Lord. I didn't realize it was there. Or maybe I did realize it was there, but I've never really dealt with it. And this morning, Lord... I've asked you to set the truth inside of me. Now I've heard the truth, now I must partner with it. So the first step was, you heard the truth. It exposed some area of our life. Now you must partner with it. You acknowledge it, and now you work with it. And say, Lord, show me some things where some areas of stress in my life, show me, oh God, is this the, is this the result of paganism and me not trusting you as my father? Or is this some other result? Lord, show me. So I can bring an end to waywardness. 
The Holy Spirit hasn't come to, to condemn us. He's come to reveal it to us so that we can become that disciple. He's not coming to say, right, you're pagan, cut him off, get out of the church. No. He's coming to reveal it so we can change. And, and God sees, if he sees the heart of a person who really wants to change, God's mercy and grace is there. So all you've got to do is say, Lord, I've realized, Lord, I'm chasing the wrong things. And it's creating the wrong behavior inside of me. So, Lord, show me. Teach me your ways. Teach me. You know what I need, Lord. The need has not changed. But the way I go about it has got to change. The need may not change. But the way you go about it has got to change. It's behavior that God's trying to address in every one of us. So, if you will, raise your holy hands. Know that the, fa the Father is speaking to us this morning and he's your heavenly Father and he wants to supply what you need and what you lack. So the first thing he supplied this morning was the word. So what you needed this morning to help you on this journey has just been given to you. So this word, you say, Lord, this word is doing me good. It's exposing me. So Lord, show me now how to apply it. In what areas? Holy Spirit, shine the light. You may already know, as I've been speaking, you may have already become aware of some issues. Just say, Lord, I'm going to partner with you in this area. Lord, I want to become, I want, don't want to become like those pagan believers. I want to put a kingdom, and I want it to become first in my life, in the name of Jesus. Begin to pray that. Go on, ask the Lord. My prayer for you is not going to change that. You have to partner. Oh, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. Holy Spirit, I ask you to flush out paganism from the lives of your people. Flush it out of your church. Flush it out of your people. Flush it out of our thinking so we don't become like the world. Father, as we take this mask off and realize that we're not much different in many ways than the people that we say we're different from. Lord, that's not good for us to be like in that place. We're meant to be salt and light. So Father, we ask you in Jesus' name to help us make this journey. To pick up the cross, put down those nets, and follow Christ again. Lord, I'm, des I'm, I'm desiring and I'm determined this morning, oh God, that I'm going to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said? Amen. Amen.